there's a a book series called Thursday Next, um, which is I'm not going to get into the whole setting because it is it the prequel itself. to Friday. No, but it <laughs> isn't, isn't that a a pot movie? I don't know. It has a ice cube, and there's like three of them. But it's the setting is the quick explanation is it's alternate England 1984 where um defacing literature is like a capital offense. Uh, and there's... So it's like the opposite of Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> yeah, actually. And the bad guy, his henchman, I forget what the name was. It was something like like Jack or something, but he would replace uh, the face with the original... Like he had an original henchman, and then mm-hmm. when he died, he removed his face, and to become his henchman, you have to agree to get that face put on you. <laughs> and so he just kept like swapping it from face to face, and it, I think he was up to the thirteenth iteration. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the All Mine No Matter podcast. We have a name now. Uh, this is, uh... Cause for Celebration, I yes, think. Yes, Cause for Celebration. And we also have a blog, which, uh... Oh, crap, I don't have the link up. Allmind-nomatter.blogspot.com Thank you. Uh, yes, I'm Ian, and I'm here with Kyle. Hey, everyone. And Brandon. Greetings, Earthlings. Uh, so yes, uh, we've got a blog set up at the link Brandon just gave. Uh, we also have a Facebook up. Search Facebook for All Mind No Matter. You should be able to find it. Um, we have an RSS feed and we have our feed up on iTunes. So, uh, yes, we have all those things. And we also have an email now, which is allmindnomatter at gmail.com. There's no dash in that one. There is a dash in the blogspot one, but or blogger or whatever it is. <laughs> same, so, same difference. Same difference. Uh, I'll, I'll be repeating all this stuff again at the end of the episode. So, um, so remember to fast forward through that part. Yes, exactly. Just fast forward through the whole rest of this episode and uh, get to the comments stuff so that you can yell at us, yell at us about all the stuff we didn't talk about without listening to see if we talked about it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so speaking of what we're talking about tonight, segues, uh, we've been discussing different ideas for the structure of the show, and so, uh, we decided for the next few episodes, um, we wanted to talk about speculative fiction, uh, since we, we all come from a writing background, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this on the podcast, but we actually all were in the same writing program, and, uh, We've all also got a love for speculative fiction. So, Which in, you know, general terms for, you know, real people who don't have to use industry <laughs> terms for everything is, you know, genre fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, for instance, which we're going to be talking about over the next, well, I'd say three weeks, but it's more like three episodes. Yeah. We kind of aren't a weekly show. Yeah. Right. We're From this point on, we're hoping to do a bi-weekly uh, update system, 
like, I don't know how the spacing for the first three episodes is going to be yet, but uh, we're going to try and keep it biweekly. If it's a little off or something, we'll mention something on the Facebook or uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try and have a, a good consistent schedule in the future. We'll um, keep you posted. Yeah, we'll keep you posted. And if it's not consistent, well, then tough luck. Um, uh, this is free. Don't complain. Yes, exactly. Uh, except that we would welcome any feedback, including complaints, so go ahead and complain. Yes, yes. Any feedback uh, is greatly appreciated. Whether or not we listen to the feedback will be another matter entirely. Yeah. Um, but we yeah, appreciate it regardless. Yes. Um, as Kyle was saying, speculative fiction basically refers to anything that, like, uh, one of the good ways I've heard it described is speculative fiction is anything that asks, so what if, which is kind of general because you could say, like, what if this guy went to the store? And that's not really speculative fiction the way that most people talk about it, but it's a, a good rule because there is a lot, there are a lot of subgenres to speculative fiction and there's a lot of blurred lines between those subgenres. For the most part, it doesn't really matter to me if something's straddling the line between fantasy and horror and sci-fi or one of the two or two of the two, two of three, basically whatever. Yeah, as and long as it asks important questions like what would happen if a rat hijacked a bus and crashed it into Parliament? <laughs> I don't I don't know that reference. Yeah, it was a reference to a show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Huh. Really good show if you like like quirky British comedy shows that parody eighties horror and hospital drama. <laughs> and only six episodes. Which is, you know, good if you're in a rush and bad if you enjoy the show. Yeah. Um Sorry, what were you saying before I cut you off, Brandon? Oh, it was probably important. Shit. Yeah, it was. No, it wasn't. Was it something about speculative fiction? It was, but I completely forgot. Was it something about how Star Trek asks all the hard-hitting questions? Oh, no. It was just, I was going to give an example of something that's hard to define, and that would be Doctor Who. Oh, which yeah. Which is technically, I think, science fiction, but I consider it fantasy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it could be any number of things. Yeah. It's sci-fi in terms that he's an alien and a time traveler, yeah. but I guess you could also include, like, historical fiction, because... He likes to show up on the doorstep of historical figures and, you know, and screw up. with them or that. Um, yeah, another screw with, them, screw with them or screw them. Yes. <laughs> um, another like he's James Bond. Yes. Uh, another good example would be like uh, Star Wars because I think most people when they think of Star Wars they probably think sci-fi, but when you think about there's how much actual science is in the in the Star Wars series? Well, you can consider a space opera. Yeah, that's like, that's actually a good term for it. Any fun sci-fi show that isn't all about, well, let me tell you how this works. Yeah. Um, another you know, a good way I've described I've heard the science quote unquote science in uh, Star Wars described is like, yeah, there wasn't much sci-fi except for that whole metachlorines thing, but we don't like to talk about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather the force just be chalked up to space magic. Yes. Yeah. And pseudo-religious constructs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, if... 
Go ahead, Brandon. If the force were something, if the force were something tangible, then you wouldn't have Tarkin giving that speech about how Darth Vader is all that remains of the old religion. Yeah, and you could just shoot someone up with the Force. You just take those midichlorians out in a syringe, and you can make an entire army of people that you just filled up with the Force. I don't know. That, if, <laughs> I just really, if you had a way of introducing a barrier to that, like maybe the body rejects it, but you had a way of getting around that, that could be like a really interesting expanded universe. <laughs> They're too small to pull into a syringe. <laughs> <laughs> they just slip right out. Yeah. yeah. Or they they don't want to. It, it, it's like those. Uh, they have um, wills of their own. My dad <laughs> was telling me. Them away from the needle. My dad was telling me about uh, some particles that they that scientists were trying to observe that were basically camera shy. Like whenever the scientists went to observe them, they uh, they they couldn't for whatever reason, and so they basically had to observe everything around them. I don't know what Quantum I'm talking physics, about. Physics, you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that wasn't worth a laugh. <laughs> it was more your tone than it was, anything you know, else. A pity laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Quantum physics, you so cray. I uh, was I was embarrassed as soon as I said it. So. <laughs> nah, don't be embarrassed. It was fine. Uh, but yeah, sci-fi, science fiction. Um, they, we can't have actual science in this podcast. That's silly. <laughs> Never. Um. Uh, yeah, so, Brandon, uh, you had some things you wanted to talk about in particular, uh, do you want to... Sure, uh, um, well, so, as we mentioned, we're doing three episodes, this week is science fiction, and then the following episodes will be fantasy and horror, uh, which also they may include guests, we're still, uh, pulling together the details on that, but, um, we're going to talk about science fiction. And I was just thinking about some of my favorite things that are science fiction. And at the top has to be, for me, Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and in a way, it's a science fiction uh, show that sort of takes away a lot of the more fantastical elements. But it still has the core uh, element of asking what if and looking at what the ramifications of a new technology or science would be, in this case, artificial intelligence, and how you how do you define what a person is, for example. Um, so I just, I feel like that's a pretty good example of something I love with science fiction. Mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica is one of those shows that I've been wanting to get into a lot, because I've heard so many good things about it, but I, I've just... Never had the opportunity to watch it. I, I think I've watched maybe two episodes, two repeats on the Sci-Fi Channel, and I had Netflix. I had, I had that one-month trial of Netflix that everyone seems to be able to get, but I uh, didn't really have the money to keep going with uh, the monthly thing, which I, I'm hoping to. I, I might try doing in the future. Um, yeah, I've just never watched it because it's one of those shows that I kept getting like a season behind and then another season ah. behind, and eventually I just uh, I just never decided to catch up with it. But I heard it's good, like yeah. uh, like uh, Game of Thrones. I started watching that because I caught up with it two seasons in. I didn't let myself get too backtracked, so you know I should have done that with Battlestar, but I didn't. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it, it strips away some of the more fantastical elements. So, for example, they don't shoot lasers, they shoot bullets, and uh, 
the the only real technology there's only like two pieces of technology really that they have that we don't and that is uh FTL mechanical bodies <laughs> what did you say well yeah but that but that's a progression of technology we already have is FTL drives and artificial gravity are really the only things that we don't have any form of that they have. Oh, I thought you meant you were talking about the difference between humans and Cylons, not in the uh, show, not our uh, our society and the society in the show. Yeah, I mean, what I mean is that, like, other than that, you'll see things constructed in such a way that they would be if you tried to use our level of technology. For example, uh, the Battlestar, which is basically an aircraft carrier in space, is constructed very much like a submarine in certain aspects. That's pretty cool. They put a lot of thought into things like having the water tanks on the outside because it shields you from radiation and little details like that that just show up from time to time. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the hardest science, but... Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's similar to uh, Mass Effect, which we were going to talk about as well, and the design of the universe in that show, how the technology works and things like that, because similarly they have, um, their, their weapons shoot, you know, projectiles, they shoot bullets, they don't use lasers, things like that. They have FTL drives, and they have, like, the space magic constructs that are just kind of there in the galaxy are the things that let them travel faster, th- or <laughs> faster than faster than light. But uh, they have conventional FTL. They have shields to protect them from debris and stuff in space. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Plus they the way like the alien a... races are designed are really cool and kind of in a way that fits with evolution. Oh, so they're not all just humans with rubber foreheads. <laughs> okay, granted, a lot are humanoid in structure, you know, like a Star Trek alien, but mm-hmm. very different, like, otherwise. Like, they may have two legs, two arms, and a head, but, for instance, the Turians uh, are bird. They're avian. They're an avian race, so they're, like, descended from birds. Oh. They have kind of... Uh, their planet's uh, heavily irradiated, so they have kind of, like, exoskeletons on the outside that are reflective. It helps... Uh, or it, They're not irradiated. Their uh, atmosphere doesn't have, like, an ozone layer or something like that. Huh. So they get extra ultraviolet rays and things like that, uh, solar radiation, so their shells help reflect that, things like that. Uh, so that's kind what, of... What was the name of that race? The, the Turians. Turians. They're, um... That, that's like Garrus, right? Yep. They're the, uh... They're like a warlike race there. They're taller and skinnier than a human, but physically stronger, because they don't have hollow bones, I don't think. Like, they would have evolved to be on those, since they are flightless. But they're, yeah, descended from avians, kind of like how dinosaurs are now speculated to have descended from avian creatures. Well, vice versa. Ancestors of avian or, creatures. Yeah, vice versa. That's what I mean. Like how they say the uh, the chicken is like the closest relative to the T-Rex or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the science behind that. Makes chickens terrifying. Terrifying. <laughs> KFC is selling tiny Tyrannosauruses. <laughs> Well, yeah, and then there's different things like um, like the uh, the Asari. They're an all female race. They're one gender because they're like they asexually reproduce. Oh, they don't they don't like bud. I think they're technically mammals, even though they ascended from or descended from sea creatures because they have kind of like squid looking heads. You know which ones I'm talking about, right? Ian, the ones that look like uh, uh, Liara was one of them. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. 
They're they're usually blue or like green or purple. They kind of look like they have a squid head. Mm-hmm. Their hair like swoops backwards. It's tentacles. Yeah, they're like a one gender race. They're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm looking at a picture of them right now. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a few races that you'd be interested in, Brandon. Like uh, the Hanhar, which are jellyfish. They're floating jellyfish that speak in a collective hive mind sense. That's so cool. They're like they're usually like a pinkish color. Yeah, they, they come from a, a sea world, so they like you know they so live they come in the water. Sea world? Do they know Shamu? They do. <laughs> I'm sorry, that that was a bad joke. I shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, that that was worse than Brandon's. <laughs> And we oh. laughed at his out of pity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one who laughed at yours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even pretend to laugh at you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, um, they're like a collective line race when they come out of the water. They never explain how they float, but I assume it's some form of technology, some kind of anti-gravity system or something. And also the Hanhar, the uh, ones Brandon was talking about earlier that, that speak like this. Yes. And always have to say what emotion they're trying to convey when they speak. I love those guys. Because they, like, communicate through scent or through, like, eye movement or something weird like that when they communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. So when they speak to other races that, you know, use vocal cords. <laughs> so those are two of the cool non-human races that are non-humanoid races. Uh, well, what were you going to say, Brandon? Um, how, how does the... F- if, do they ever explain how, like, the FTL works in that universe? Uh, the FTL's not really... Ex- well, it might be explained in the Codex. I've never looked too hard into that, but they include the little... Uh, the Codex thing, which is, you know, like an encyclopedia that tells you about all kinds of different organizations and objects and things in the game. Uh, and uh, the actual mass relays are basically space magic. They're the things that you pass through, and they take you from one end to the other within, like, seconds. It's kind of like warp drive. Yeah, conventional FTL wouldn't be fast enough to get you between planets in, you know, seconds, but or star systems in seconds. That's why they have the mass relays, which are space magic for the most part. So it's it's like a wormhole kind of. Yeah, pretty much. With, like a, with a, like, fixed point. Yeah, it's like two artificial wormholes that are set up and you fly by it and it throws you through one and out the other. Okay. So it's like a subway system made out of wormholes, <laughs> wormhole machines. Uh, for for the lay God, I wish there was something like that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. For the layperson like me, what what is, what is an FTL drive? Uh, faster than light. Uh, okay. It's that basically you know an engine that lets you move faster than yeah. the speed of light. Yeah. Hyperdrive, different drives, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Yeah, you can pass through hyperspace, which is another dimension where there's no restriction on the speed of light, or you can like, teleport from one point to another. That's how they do it in Battlestar. Mass or, Effect kind of bends space around you. Animorphs has so, Z-space. Yeah, it, that was like, a hyperspace example. Yeah, yeah. when when um when a ship in Mass Effect jumps into faster than light, it's making, like, a, a, a space-time warping bubble around itself called a, a, mass bubble, a Mass Effect bubble or something. I forget what it is. And then... It does something similar when it goes through the uh, mass relays. So oh, they so don't really right. explain the the basics. The basics kind of boil down to space magic bubble. Mm-hmm. It's a bubble that like distorts space. So it's like the Al- Alcubierre drive. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. The actual 
warp drive that's been proposed. That yeah, the one that like they're a, looking into with, with a ring around it. <laughs> yeah, it's oh. kind of like that, except the ships. The ships look more like your typical sci-fi ships. They don't look. They don't have like rings around them. It all depends on the race. Like the humans have, you know, boxier looking, more battleship looking ships. Uh, Turians are similar since they're warlike and uh, are covered in armor. The Asari ships are really sleek and have lot have like no edges. It's all just kind of rounded. Yeah, I really love the world building in Mass Effect. Uh, just the way that they put so much work into the different cultures and the, the attention to detail uh, with all the, like, everything that you've just been talking about. It's so much, there's clearly so much thought that they put into, like, from an evolutionary standpoint, from a technical standpoint, just from a coolness factor standpoint. Oh, yeah, speaking of that, I forgot another one of the, they're, they're kind of humanoid. They're called the Volus. They're like little short, fat, round guys. That oh yeah. Of, yeah, they have like pressure suits on, and if their pressure suits get punctured, they explode. <laughs> because they're from a planet that's like <laughs> covered in ammonia. The atmosphere is like made oh. of ammonia, so they wear these like little pressure suits, and they kind of talk like tiny Darth Vaders. Uh, so, so that's like, uh, like that guy in in uh, Attack of the Clones. That's part of the. Uh, the Confederate planets. Uh, There's a guy that has like remember. a gas mask that's like super high pressure. Oh, oh wait, do you mean one of the Jedi? No, no, one of the the banking clans or somebody like that. The only guy I can oh, okay. think of at the moment is General Grievous, which I know is not who you're talking about. And the only yeah. banking clan guys I can think of are the uh, Nemoidians, Nemoidians, yeah, the super racist Chinese <laughs> aliens. <laughs> I thought you meant, like, Plo Koon or whatever, the Jedi who wears the breathing apparatus, because he's either, he's from an, a planet with, like, a reduced atmosphere or something, or it has gases, or it's a water planet, I forget, something like that. He's he's a horrible, horrible-looking monster with a metal face mask, and he's a Jedi. That's, that's all I really know about him. Which is uh, cool. Yeah, so, this this is sort of a standard question when it comes to sci-fi, I guess, but um, what, what do you guys think something needs to have to be sci-fi, or are there things you can think of that people consider sci-fi, which they really shouldn't, or things that they don't consider sci-fi, which they should? Uh, I don't know, that's a well, loaded the question. The Sci-Fi Channel, which was where <laughs> was airing a marathon of uh, the Asylum productions, including oh. Transporters, Fall of Man, and iCyborgs or something like <laughs> that effect, um, believes that anything with uh, low-budget CGI qualifies. I'd say anything with, you know, sweet-ass wrestling moves or ghost hunting also qualifies. If we're talking oh, about I forgot si- about that. The Sci-Fi Channel. Oh, then what have we been talking about this whole episode? We've been just on the wrong topic entirely. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I kind of use it as an umbrella term, so, you know... Yeah. Anything that could be considered, like, a space opera or, like, hard science fiction, something like that, I'd consider. Um, it doesn't have to include robots, aliens, and space, but that really helps. <laughs> and I, it's hard to consider something in a setting with robots, aliens, and space to be fantasy, since fantasy's kind of become a, an umbrella term for, like, the Tolkien-type creations yeah. and Dungeons and & Dragons, like... 
uh, high fantasy or low fantasy. It usually it revolves around a setting similar to like the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find there's two different things that qualify it for me. One is like the setting, like what you were talking about, and the other is uh, what the purpose of it. Which for me to for it to be like true sci-fi, it's gotta explore the consequence of science or technology in some way. Or I, I'd also add it has to explore some kind of uh, philosophy or something of that nature, yeah. like yeah. Star Trek was kind of created to do. Yeah, and a we, lot of a lot of the bigger early sci-fi novels and stuff were very big on asking those big what-if questions. Um, like I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but well, they, the time machine. Yeah, the time machine. That's one of those things. Which actually doesn't ask questions about time travel. It asks questions about evolution and social structure. Yeah, or uh, like 1984 is one of uh, my favorite sci-fi novels, um, and I know is a lot of people's oh, favorite sci-fi novel. I think, um, and that that's more looking at the uh, socio-political aspect of science fiction. Um, yeah, or something like, uh, like the old Star Trek episodes are framed with science fiction, or, you know, with the space, the, uh, space travel, things like that, to get Gene Roddenberry's points across. The whole reason he created the show in the first place is he wanted, he, he loved studying different philosophies and futurism, things like that. Mm-hmm. And to express it to an, a, t- a television audience in a way that they would find interesting, he framed it around you know, the whole space travel thing. Yeah. So when when they're on a planet with people with superpowers who claim to be the Greek gods or whatever, it's not, you know, about, hey, what would happen if we found a planet with people with superpowers who claim to be Greek gods, but more of, you know, an examination on religion as a whole. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting, your guys' responses, because, like, uh, like, Kyle, you brought up the whole space opera aspect. Um and then in reference to fantasy, there was uh, – one of you said something about how, like, fantasy generally you think of the Tolkien side of things. I think, Brandon, you brought that up. No, Kyle well, I did. brought that up. Uh, you brought it up, too. Long again, yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah, an awful, awful host. Here again. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, I, think, I think for a lot of people, those are the sorts of things that they think of when they think of sci-fi and fantasy in particular, how, like, sci-fi – Usually it's something involving space or some really hardcore science stuff. And then with fantasy, it's got to have elves or something. When, like, uh... And dwarves. And dwarves. They hate each other. Elves and dwarves, they, they must hate each along. other. Yes. Um, and, it like, for me, the, those are always really limiting definitions of science fiction and fantasy, I think. Like, for example, one of the movies I just thought of that sort of straddles the line, but I think I would actually place more in the sci-fi realm is a movie like Inception. Now, they're dealing in the dream world, so that brings up a lot more fantastical elements, but they sort of root it in a science fiction way because they have, like, the devices that put them into the dreams and stuff, and they they work with the dream mechanics in a very mechanical way, which is one of the things that I think, for me defines the difference between sci-fi and fantasy. I feel like sci-fi works with things in a much more mechanical way. And not not to say that mechanical is a bad thing. I think that that's one of the advantages of sci-fi. And I think fantasy deals with things in a much more uh, 
abstract conceptual way. I don't know. Yeah. That that may just be me. No, well, it makes sense. Like, I consider a movie like Inception sci-fi in the same regard to something like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind would be yeah. sci-fi simply because of the the devices and things they're using to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they explore... I haven't seen Eternal Sunshine, but, you know, they they both explore simulated reality and memory. Well, you've lot. played To the Moon, right? Yes. We yeah. talked about this before. Yeah, it's it's a very similar concept. Yeah. Um, yeah, and when I say mechanical, I don't mean, like, ju- just just so that we're clear, I don't mean, like, it has to have machines in it. I mean, the way that they address certain things in the universe that, is Yeah, that through science, we can observe something that normally would be impossible, like yeah. dreams. You can't really observe someone's dreams through any way other than science. I mean, it's debatable through we're things close. like... We're well, close. Through, through science? Yeah. Well, that's oh. what I'm saying. I mean, through other means, like eating a bunch of peyote and claiming you visited someone's dreams. <laughs> I mean, you can claim it, but I don't know if it's possible because you're just getting super high on cactus flowers. Hey, have you tried, man? <laughs> you, you'll invade you everyone's don't know. dreams. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know either. So, SpongeBob has taught us that the real way dreaming works is everyone has a thought bubble that appears over their head, which you can only see if you're also yeah, if you're also dreaming. Oh, speaking speaking of SpongeBob and science, like my mom always hated SpongeBob whenever we had it on because she thought it was just the stupidest thing ever, weirdest concept ever. Um, the one moment in SpongeBob she loved was. They're sitting underwater. It's the episode where Patrick and SpongeBob, the run. they're on the run, and they're sitting around the campfire, and Patrick's like, hey, if we're underwater, how can there be a... And then the fire goes out. <laughs> there was another similar uh, joke on an episode of Futurama where Zoidberg has a uh, a house underwater. He, he goes into, like, a shell. He's like, hey, now I'm a homeowner, oh, yeah. and it gets burned down. And then they're wondering how it burned down underwater, and they realize it's because Bender left a lit cigar next to the house underwater. (laughs) That just raises further questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Granted, there are things that can burn underwater, but I doubt cigars in the future are made with, like, magnesium. I don't know, Zoidberg. I'm trying to get into the country club. (laughs) <laughs> funny because he's a Jew <laughs> and people in the south are racist not in general just that's the in general that's stereotype <laughs> yeah I, I, I really hope sometimes like when we drop lines like that people don't think we're serious <laughs> I like me listening to you right now I can tell you're not serious but I wonder sometimes with listeners because the listeners are just idiots. All of our audience, they, they're complete idiots, so I, I can't expect them to uh, understand highbrow humor that we have on this podcast. And I should just stop, because I'm probably going to end up making someone angry. <laughs> Quick, we need to stop humor. with the fart joke. Quick, backpedal, backpedal. Science fiction. Um, Did I do that? <laughs> uh, but Every yeah, like... Um, an- another movie that I think... Uh, it, it's it's interesting the way that different stories like deal with science fiction because you guys brought up on episode two Looper, which has the science fiction element of the time travel, but 
like, I haven't seen it. You guys said that. It doesn't go into explanations of how the time travel works, which to me is a smart move on their part. Um, but it's it's still very much sci-fi. Uh, yeah. It has it has other. I'm not going to get into it, but it has other elements of science yeah. fiction. It reminds me a little bit of Minority Report and the way that it's got this single mechanic and it's got the setting that's uh, a more science fiction setting than a fantasy setting. But for the most part, it it is more focused on the character story than uh, the and, and like it. I like Minority Report because it's. Uh, it is a science fiction story that has a concept, and it really does – I feel like it does explore that to uh, – in an entertaining and interesting way um, through the characters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never seen Minority Report. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. Um, it it addresses a lot of it, things with, like, prophecy and questions like – what happens if you break a prophecy and does it count as breaking a prophecy if different things happen, but you have the same outcome? Yeah. Like yeah. Prophecy and like predestination. Uh, I think it raises up a lot of good questions about that. Um, <laughs> I saw a uh, funny shirt someone made that said Calvinist by choice. <laughs> <laughs> and that's funny because we're talking about predestination. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, um, I don't know if there's anything. It, was there was there anything in particular you wanted to talk about with Minority Report, Brandon? Um, just what we already mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. All I know about it, I've learned through like synopses and parody episodes of TV yeah. shows. Cool thing about Minority Report or connected to Minority Report. Uh, I remember reading an article a while back about people using the uh. Xbox Connect and modding it so that they could control their Xbox Live and stuff the way that they control the computers in Minority Report, like being able to raise your hand up and move windows around that way. You can actually do that with a cheap camera phone that you mount on the front of your chest, and then you hold, you put like marker caps on three of your, two of your fingers and your thumb, and you can hold your fingers then like an XYZ axis. And oh, manipul- wow. and you put a projector above the camera phone. Some some guy like rigged it up for his like student project at MIT or some. Yeah, like that. cool. <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds like something someone from MIT would come up with, not something <laughs> most people would think of <laughs> or have a practical it, way of working around. That's really cool. It is cool though. That, it's sort of like the way that the menus work in Dead Space. Which oh is yeah, another genre straddling of- story. They kind of pop out of your suit. Your suit, like, projects your inventory yeah. in front of you. That, that was one of the things I liked about it. It, it kind of uh, works well for the immersion factor. With the, You're not, like... Pausing uh, to bring up an inventory in the middle of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> Since you have to kind of do it in real time. Mm-hmm. I, or I've get only, ripped apart. <laughs> yeah. I've been meaning to finish playing Dead Space, because I've got both Dead Space and Dead Space 2. Um, but I got them in a Steam sale last year, but, uh, it's, uh, uh, the time, I, I have none of it, it seems, most of the time, and, uh, I got in, like, I, I got, I didn't get very far into the game, and so I feel like, and I don't know if I've gotten deep enough, and it's, it grabbed me, but 
there's like I haven't played it in a while, and uh, I, I'm rambling. Well, I just uh, diegetic is the term I was thinking of um, to describe those menus that you're talking about. Because oh. there's like, for example, di- diegetic sound is when the sound is something on screen, mm-hmm. and non-diegetic then is when it's a a soundtrack that's not coming from something you can see. Oh, yeah. So it's like, uh, diegetic is like in-universe features. Mm-hmm. And I see how that would be a lot more immersive. Yeah, I think they use that terminology in reference to, like, m- music and movies, right? Yeah. Like, there's the music that a character hears on the radio, which would be diegetic. And then there's the soundtrack, which is written by, like, Howard Shore or someone, and that would be non-diegetic. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something unpopular here. Okay. But, and I don't like the show anymore, but the first episode, the pilot episode of Glee, mm-hmm. I actually really liked, and part of the reason was because it was all diegetic sound. Oh. Like, except for acapella things, there was no instrumental music that didn't have a source on screen. Yeah. And I thought it was, like, a really neat trick. The, the yeah. rest of the show kind of went downhill for me. But. Yeah, that, that's one of the things, yeah. I, I don't know if we want to go into a Glee discussion on our not, sci-fi I'm podcast. Not, but I'm not. I'd rather not go into a discussion yeah. of it on any of our podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have, I, I'm not deep into the Glee story. Like, I watched a few episodes from the first season, and I watched Ian, all of them. What? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hit it, and then we're going to move on from it. But, um, yeah, like, I, I pretty much am with a lot of the internet on it. They've got a fantastic cast, and they're all great singers. I wish the music was, didn't sound so overproduced, uh, and I wish that the writers were better and didn't go through, they didn't have to do character assassination every single episode, um, in manner, in the way of really bad writing. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about the subject matter for now. So let's move on back to sci-fi stuff. Um, uh, so a book that I really liked, as much as I didn't like the movie version of it that much, uh, was Fahrenheit 451. Uh, uh, I've been meaning to read this. I think it's. I haven't read it in such a long time. I read it in high school, I think. I think Wait, it's such I... a, a great simplified dystopia where it's you know it's nice because it's not a it's not an all-controlling government it really is people that did it like it's it's by choice it's not like the only reason that the firemen burn books is because people want them to burn books it's not like people are being suppressed it's people's own doing yeah i like that compared to uh the whole 1984 uh, dichotomy of it's all the government. Yeah. I kind of can see the Fahrenheit 451 universe being more believable these days. Yeah, well, the thing about 1984 is it was written right in the shadow of World War II, so I think it was very much influenced. And I'm, I'm not saying anything particularly groundbreaking about 1984, but yeah, it, it was very much influenced by like the Third Reich and all everything that happened with Hitler. Yeah. Um, have you guys read Brave New World? I have not. No, actually, I haven't. I know about some of uh, Huxley, but 
I've never actually read the book. I have a couple it's... songs from the Iron Maiden album, Brave New World. <laughs> I don't think it's uh, correlated. <laughs> you never know. It's They've interesting. Got... Just... Never mind. Uh, go ahead, Brandon. Yeah. Well, it just it, I was going to say it's an interesting dystopia because it's utopian. Uh, oh. Everybody has everything that they could want, and that's part of There's like this ennui almost that's set into anybody that has any sort of self-awareness. Uh, it's the best way I could describe it. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you don't see utopia explored as much in fiction, I feel like, unless it's like, Oh, this utopia is clearly not a utopia. It's got some sick under something sick going on underneath it. Well, all the best utopias. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's not a utopia unless it's secretly a dystopia. Mm-hmm. Or it could be a dinotopia. Or <laughs> is the utopia that? Yeah, works. that's that's or, that was what I thought of when I was thinking of utopias that have something going on underneath. Or how about a fruitopia? Oh, no. <laughs> In that it's discontinued and no one drank it when it was around. <laughs> um, speaking of dystopias, though, uh, uh, that dystopian literature has sort of had a revival recently with The Hunger Games. Um, wh- have you guys read any of The Hunger Games or seen the movie? Uh, I know no. about it, and I know the difference between it and Battle Royale, but mm-hmm. I haven't read or seen the movie. Yeah. I haven't read or seen either of those two franchises. Yeah. yeah what, Battle Royale? I, I haven't read Battle yeah. Royale either. Battle Royale's uh, a little different in the sense that it's... Eh, I won't get into it. <laughs> Talk well, about Hunger Games first. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting uh, because uh, a friend of mine has read Battle Royale. I haven't, and he was really pissed off at the Hunger Games because he was like, no, the ba- Battle Royale is the movie that should be being should, that should that be made. Um, but it's been made. Yeah, it's been made, <laughs> uh, although I heard that the movie isn't that gr- the The movie that they have made of it isn't, isn't that great. I don't and, know. Uh, it might be. I've never seen the whole thing. Yeah. I assumed it was more like a, a, a dark humor thing, like... I didn't expect it to be, like, shocking as much as kind of funny because of, like, cheesy sort of low-budget death scenes and stuff. But it's probably one of those cases where, like, oh, well, well, the manga is so much better because blah, 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 blah. Just like how there's still people who claim that, like, the Game of Thrones show is trash compared to the books or how The Walking Dead is horrible compared to the comics or something like that. See, with the one... Uh, not to get too much into horror, but with The Walking Dead, I've actually heard that it's better than the comics. I I've heard that kind of argue for that as well, because the comics have a lot of gore for gore's sake, and in the current arc they're running with the governor, a lot of rape for rape's sake. Yeah. Oh, and we we might want to discuss, just, I'll prob- we should probably cut this out later, but we I think it would be a good idea to discuss, like, the first half of season three of Walking Dead on a future episode, maybe the the uh, horror episode. I, I, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about, like, the season finale this episode, like you mentioned in the email. If we want to do that, we could do it near the end. Yeah, yeah. it would probably be better to do it near the end if we have the time. Um, yeah. Because we, we should probably keep this one focused on the sci-fi stuff. Um, but yeah, so with The Hunger Games, uh, number one, I don't see any reason why you can't like both The Hunger Games and Battle Royale. Uh, it, it's... Uh, 
I haven't read the I haven't read Battle Royale, so I really can't vouch for the quality of it. Although I've heard good things about it. Um, as for the Hunger Games, I've seen I saw the movie first actually uh, a week or so after it came out, I think, and I really enjoyed the movie. There, it, it's got its flaws like anything, but I liked it. I liked Katniss, the main character. Uh, I liked the her her character arc, and I think Jennifer Lawrence is a fantastic actress, so, and she did a really good job emoting without uh, without having to say things. Well, she had practice because correct me if I'm wrong, she's living in squalor in Appalachia, right? <laughs> I I don't know about that, but uh, because because in Winter's Bone, she's in the same situation. Oh yeah, um, she's like in a. Tr- She's not in a trailer, but she might as well be in a trailer in, like, West Virginia. Oh. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, yeah, in The Hunger Games, yeah, she's living in squalor in, like, yeah, I guess it would be Appalachia. Like, I think it's technically North Carolina. They they never say in the book, but you can figure it out from context clues. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I liked the movie both as uh, a sci-fi movie, as a character story, or uh, saying both and now I'm naming three things. I liked it as a sci-fi movie, a character story, and as an adaptation because it really took advantage of the movie as a medium. And uh, I've read the book since then, and I really liked the book as well. And I I really appreciate... uh, both in their their respective mediums. I think the movie took really took advantage of not having to be stuck in Katniss's point of view because the book is is from a first person point of view, and also the fact that it was a visual medium, so they were able to really uh, get across the satire of reality shows that that's present in the books, um, and. Uh, like, I, I think that it, it's one of those books, like, I, I've heard people say, like, oh, they should have made The Hunger Games into a movie. It doesn't really work as a movie, but it's a TV show that's sort of like this really twisted reality show. Like, I should actually ring the, uh, do a little bit of a summary on it. Hunger Games is basically a dystopian future where uh, the United States had some crazy, chaotic uprising or something, and it was split into... Uh, these separate districts that are all run by the main capital and which is in Denver, right? Uh, again, it's not explicitly stated in the books and I never went to look when it, where it was, but yeah, if it it said somewhere, if it says somewhere online that it's in Denver, then it probably is because she does, uh, the author, Suzanne Collins, she gives pretty good, uh, context clues to be able to figure out which districts are in different parts of the United States. Um, so yeah, there's there's 12 districts and they're all run by this main capital. There used to be 13 districts, but and there was an uprising to take over the capital, but the capital was able to crush the that uprising and they basically destroyed District 13. So now they have the Hunger Games as a way to remind the other districts uh, that they have complete control over them and uh, to uh, keep those districts 
uh, in check. And the Hunger Games are basically this reality TV show where they uh, take uh, two kids between 12 and 17 from each of the districts, one boy and one girl, and pit them in a fight to the death. That's televised for everyone in the country to see. Uh, and, yeah, that's basically the rundown. Uh, Katniss gets picked. Well, she she actually doesn't get picked. Her younger sister, it's her first year in that uh, they, they choose people through a lottery system, like their names get put into a lottery and then they're taken out by whoever is the representative for the district. And it's her sister's first year in the lottery. She's only Her name is only in there once, and she gets picked. And so Katniss, who is the older sister, and she wants to protect her younger sister, Prim, she volunteers to be in the Hunger Games, which that's a big scene that they showed in all the trailers and stuff. I volunteer as tribute! Um, and so... I can't take it seriously because I couldn't take the commercial seriously because every time they said Happy Hunger Games, it sounded like they were saying Happy Holidays. Oh, uh, well, Happy Happy Hunger Games was just such a dumb sounding quote. Donald well, Sutherland. That, that's sort of part. Of, <laughs> Thanks, Donald Sutherland. That's sort of part of the satire. Like the Capitol tries to play this up as like, oh yes, it's this big celebration um, when it's a fight to the death. Yeah, so, I know. I'm just saying the the delivery of the line is what killed it for me. It's yeah. like when someone says something in a movie, like dramatic, like for instance, in a. I just watched The Dark Knight Rises again last night because oh, yes. it just came out on DVD and stuff. And mm-hmm. there's a part where Bane <laughs> taunts him by saying, "Oh, so you've come back to Gotham to watch it die or something like that?" And then he says, "No, I came back to stop you." <laughs> like that's just. Seriously, yeah. that's, there's nothing, like, cool-sounding about that. Like, yeah. oh, okay, pretty matter-of-fact about what you're doing. You didn't even make, like... I, I mean, Batman doesn't joke, but you didn't even try to say something clever. Yeah, that's that's not really Christian Bale's fault in delivery, then. It's more of the writer's fault. Well, it's also his fault because of his voice. Yeah, that's... His Batman voice is pretty I, goofy. I've never had a problem with his Batman voice, but I totally understand why other people do. Where's the detonator? Where's Harvey Dent? Uh, there, there's there was that great video that came out right after the Dark Knight came out, where it's the interrogation scene, uh, and the Joker just cannot understand. Like it, if uh, you can yeah. find that, then we'll put uh, that in the in the links uh, in the show notes. Um, but it's a it's a fantastic video. Most people have probably seen it by now. <laughs> Actually, you know what we should do since we're talking about sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Did you see that the uh, Star Trek teaser trailer came out today for the newest movie? Oh, I have not watched it yet. I have not we should watched all it. Wa- neither yeah. have I. We should all watch it simultaneously and provide commentary as yes. it goes. Um, or at least after it's over. Um, or, or that. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel just... like it would be funnier to provide it as it goes so there's not a minute of silence <laughs> that we'll have to cut out later. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, somebody should... Um turn up the volume on their speakers while we're watching it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm using headphones, so... Same here. Well, I will unplug my headphones then. I sent you the the link, so you guys oh, should be thanks. able to see it, and then we'll uh, hopefully I'll be able to cue it up at the same time, countdown or whatever. 
So yeah, it's called uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, which yeah. is kind of goofy sounding because it's kind of like they're saying Star Trek Into Darkness. Well, the, the fact Trek into no, it. <laughs> isn't there supposed to be a colon in there? I don't know if there is a colon because it doesn't show not. a colon on any of the like titles. It just says Star Trek Into Darkness. I know. The, without the colon, it does seem kind of silly. Like let's Star Trek Into Darkness. Like Trek Into That Darkness. It's like they're trying to make a pun. <laughs> Kind of have a star on there. Um, I'm gonna unplug my headphones so that we can hear it. Okay. All right, I'm ready as soon as you guys are. Just, just count down from three. Okay, I'll do the countdown. It's three, but and and we'll we'll hit play after one. Say we'll one be... and then say go. Yeah, so three, three two, one, two go. one, go, and pr- hit play on go. Okay. Three. Two, one, go. Skydance Productions, Bad Robot. <laughs> yes, yes I do. Oh. Cool voiceover. Plan is covered in red grass or something. Some sort of rotunda. Hey, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. I'll finally be able to see him in something. I hope he's not con. <laughs> because Actually, they kept making comments that he might be con. I hope he's not either. Wrath of Khan did not need to be remade. Yeah. I haven't seen enough. I saw it, like, so long ago that I can't remember the details. Whoa. Plus, he doesn't... I mean... Oh, jeez. He wouldn't make a great con. Like, he seems like a good villain from that. Like, his, his voiceover is great. Oh, yeah, he's got a fantastic voice. He's so going to be Smog in I was going to say I'm excited for Smog because he. I didn't realize he had a deep voice because I've never watched Sherlock. Yeah, yeah. I just kind of thought with with a name like Benedict Cumberbatch, he'd talk like this, biscuits and gravy and chip yeah. chip cheerio. Isn't, isn't and he like kind of skinny, too? Yeah, um, like, yeah. that's the reason I couldn't see him playing Khan because Khan was supposed to be, like, uh, a genetically enhanced super soldier who was also like a cross of a whole bunch of different races. Like, I mean, he was played by Ricardo Montalban and had a Spanish accent, but he was his name was like Khan Nunian Singh or something. Yeah. So he was like kind of supposed to be like composite Indian and like Thai maybe or something like that. Yeah, uh, Brandon, did you plug your headphones back in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because my voice isn't echoing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that, that I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I looked I liked the first Star Trek. I mean, um, it doesn't look like you know, doesn't look like your daddy's Star Trek. Oh yeah, but yeah, it, yeah I it should say fun. first Star Trek. It's not for nerds. Yeah, well, hope maybe maybe they'll dial back the lens flare in this one. I do like how the uh, 2009 Star Trek movie is like I I it's like the first time I've ever seen a. Uh, blockbuster movie introduce the concept of an alternate of alternate universe fanfic almost and make it part of the canon <laughs> yeah they tried almost too hard to make sure that it actually still fit into the original canon which i thought was unnecessary but yeah the whole um, parallel was, universe it, thing yeah although it, well, i think it was a good idea for them to say that it was a parallel universe because then they don't have to have people saying like oh this is a terrible adaptation of the original star trek it, 
Yeah, you don't have then to have spend a, yelling and complaining, and you can do whatever you want with the characters, essentially, too. Yeah, as long like as it, they maintain the certain aspects that make them identifiably those characters. Yeah, for instance, spoiler warning, the fact that Uhura is more d- attracted to Spock than Kirk now. <laughs> I also, the, the beginning of the movie was really good with Kirk being born. Yeah. And, like, on the ship as it's going down, and his dad, you know, crashes the ship into the Romulans. His dad, Thor. His dad, Thor. Before he got jacked up, yeah. and became Thor. Thor T. Kirk. Thor T. Thor. Well, I don't know his middle name. It was George I was going to say, it then, wouldn't be Tiberius. Yeah, yeah it's, unless it's like a family middle name. Mm-hmm. Um, did you guys ever watch the riff tracks for that Star Trek movie? No. Or, uh, I've you only guys... watched riff tracks for bad movies. Uh... Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it is problematic watching Rift Tracks for good movies, because uh, uh, oftentimes I'll find myself more interested in the movie itself than the Rift Tracks, and I'll stop paying attention to the Rift Tracks. But uh, there were some good moments in the Rift Tracks for the Star Trek. Um, like the first moment Spock's on screen, all three of them just go, Spock! <laughs> and I mean, think about it this way. You can complain all you want about the movie, and you can say J.J. Abrams ruins Star Trek, but think about it. This is an Enterprise. Whoever created Enterprise ruined Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never I don't think, seen Enterprise. I don't think you can get much lower than using a Rod Stewart song. I've got faith. <laughs> oh, intro to Star Trek. <laughs> you know, is, is that the intro song for every episode? Was that a Rod Stewart song? I thought it was Rod Maybe I'm I, wrong. I thought it was like one of those like kind of like Christian rock bands or something. Oh, no, Rod Stewart, it should have been. Sure it's a wake real song, up, Maggie. A... I think I got something to say to you. I gotta look this up now. Yeah, this this one was like, I just remember thinking it was something like Wings of a Dream, but it's I've got <laughs> faith, faith of the heart, as they're launching spaceships <laughs> throughout history or something. Yeah, I don't know if they if uh. Christian rock song is the first choice that people think of for TV shows, unless it's something like Touched by an Angel. <laughs> theme song on Wikipedia. Faith of the Heart, uh, sung by Russell Watson. Hmm. Yeah, see, no one, part? anyone cares about. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is a real song. It's not okay. a... I figured. What, what happened to, it like... It was the... originally the theme song to the movie Patch Adams, where it was <laughs> sung by Rod Stewart. Ah, there you go. Um, yeah, what happened to, like, (laughs) what happened to the cool orchestral openings to, like, uh, Star Trek Next Generation and Voyager? I I like the, uh, the original with, like, the... Oh, (laughs) oh, yeah. I like how they, they brought that in for the credits song on the 2009 Star Trek movie. Yeah. And, uh, I, did they use it at the end of the one Futurama episode? They might have. Yeah, I know they recreated the end credits, like, with uh, Kiff replacing the one alien that always shows up at the end of the end Yeah, the glaring, the green thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the most uh, memorable is the Next Generation theme, but that's mainly because I've watched more of that than yeah. the others, and it's three times as long as <laughs> the original series, since oh. they were, like, seven or eight seasons compared... I think there were seven seasons. Yeah. Compared watched, to the three. Yeah, I watched a lot of Voyager, and the the thing about the Voyager theme is 
it didn't necessarily have the melody of uh the uh the Flintstones song, but I always sung the Flintstones with it because it's like so like the first three or four notes remind me of the Flintstones so I'd always go when you meet the Flintstones I like it's a uh, very solemn trip to bedrock yes <laughs> you're hitting bedrock bottom with that song. Oh, oh man I'm turning this podcast around yeah that's, that's what you get now everyone's made a terrible joke Okay. Yeah, everyone everyone gets one. I like the um <laughs> I like one of the comments on the Star Trek trailer. Someone says, God damn it, JJ, stop stop fucking up my beloved Star Trek. On the other hand, shitty Star Trek is better than no Star Trek. Carry on. Yeah. <laughs> so I, even the super fans have become like yes. well, it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, I, I can't I can't read internet comments anymore. They just They're all too horrible. They're all too Stupid. No one on the internet is happy. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't even really comment on anything unless it's, like, people that I know or really appreciate. Um, there was... Hold on. I'm looking at... There was one movie that... Um... Shit. Edit this out. Okay. Great. Make uh, more the- work for us. Because, no, no, I'm trying to look up the ref. It's not even, fuck it, it's not even worth it. But there's one movie that I just remember had an inordinate amount of, like, beef backlash. Uh-huh. And I just remember thinking, like, it wasn't, even if you didn't Prometheus. like it. Prometheus. Yes, that's what Ah, oh, Prometheus. For some yeah. reason, everyone has <laughs> popped a nut over that movie. Did you guys I, see it? I enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. I, I, thought that, I, l- I like mysterious precursor things. Yeah, I didn't expect them to answer every question. I expected there to be more questions at the end, because that's what old sci-fi movies do. Well, yeah, well, I, um, I think that it should have been the same planet as an alien. But. Oh, yeah. Did, did you guys see the other other movies in the Alien series? Uh, yeah. I've only Two seen the of them were worth watching. Yeah. I saw Prometheus in theaters, and I enjoyed it, but... It, it did feel lacking to me, not because it didn't answer all the questions it raised or it didn't, like, lead straight into the uh, rush to the Alien franchise, but I just the, I had a hard time caring about the characters. Like, I liked... Uh, David was pretty it, much the only character I really enjoyed. David really? and the... I, I forget the main character's name. Um, uh, I know her actual name. Yeah, Numi. Numi Rafache. Yeah, but whatever um, her character's name was. Yeah, I can't the original remember her girl name. Dragon but, Tattoo. Yeah, yeah. I, I like I like her a lot as an actress, and I, I liked her I liked her character because like she actually had some history to her and some personality. Yeah, she um, was good. David was great. And, yeah, David. Yeah, David uh, was Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender. And Fassbender. Is, Idris Elba was great, but he didn't have a huge role. But uh, he's a great actor. So was yeah, for, for he was what he the, had, he did a lot with what he had. Yeah, he was the captain. And okay. he did. He made the captain a better character than I think was actually written. So he was the one who was. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. He was the captain. He hooked up with Charlize Theron. Yeah. Yeah, and was just like whatever. Yeah, Charlize. By the way, Theron, this is our second fun. Charlize Theron reference in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he was really great. And I'm assuming because he was on the wire. Yeah. 
and I'm assuming he'll be really great in the next movie that he's got a big role in, which is uh, Pacific Rim by Guillermo del Toro. I've heard, I keep the hearing movie about, about that giant robots fighting monsters. Yeah. Charlie Day is in that also. And uh, Really? Yeah, he plays a scientist. Charlie Day is playing a scientist. Yeah, it's because of that that Guillermo del Toro appeared in a recent episode of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Did he? He was in the... Did you see the McFoyle... Uh, Ponderosa wedding one. No, I think I missed that one. That might have been why. I, okay, but he was he was like the the patriarch of the McPoyle clan. <laughs> That's kind of funny because Char because of Charlie's character on It's Always Sunny and most characters he plays he's he's not very bright. So it's funny that he'd be playing a scientist. Yeah, he's usually and very manic and screaming and he can't. He's illiterate on the show. Yeah. <laughs> So that's pretty awesome. He and Ron Perlman and Idris Elba are all in this movie. Yeah. And it's about giant robots to fight monsters. And it's Guillermo del Toro. There's nothing that can go wrong with this. Oh, this sounds like it's going to be the best movie in 2013. Like, you need, like, one person for each hemisphere of the brain was the reasoning or something. That's even better. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know the premise to Pacific Rim at all, but it just sounds, with the people involved, it sounds so cool. So one guy has to pilot the math center, and the other guy has to pilot the creative center of the robot. Uh, I, apparently they're going right? to show what happens. Apparently, and apparently they're going to show what happens when one person pilots it, and the results aren't pretty. Ooh. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that, that would only- be cool. Yeah, they don't have any trailers or anything for it as far People as I know. People were thinking that, that, that shot. Yeah, there might be a trailer soon, but it, it, it's pretty far out from the movie, so they pro- they might not release one yet. Ooh, 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 I found something. What? I found um, pictures of the blueprints for the robots. Um, They're calling them Jaegers or something. Yeah, after huh. giants and... Nordic mythology, right? Uh, Probably, because I've heard Jaeger used for giant robots a couple oh, wow. places. Oh, those are pretty cool. <laughs> some of them look kind of Transformery or Gundam-like, yeah. and some look like big walking tanks. <laughs> I like the look of it. Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, Guillermo del Toro, until now, has, has stayed pretty firmly in the fantasy genre with stuff like Blade and Hellboy and uh, Pan's Labyrinth. And he's also kind of had some horror and sci-fi as well. Yeah. His older movies, uh, I can't remember the names of any of them, were sci-fi. Uh, oh, okay. Kronos. And yeah. I think he was involved with Mimic, but I'm not sure. I think those might be right. Kronos, definitely. Mimic sounds right. And The Devil's Backbone, I think, was a World War II piece he did. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Guillermo I think do- so. I like Guillermo del Toro a lot. I love yeah, him. same here. I almost there was at FYE I saw a uh the collector's edition of Hellboy two on sale for like ten bucks or something. And I yeah. almost got it just for the just for the fact that it has like a production journal with his drawings in it. Oh dude. I'm still debating going back and maybe buying it. Oh dude, I'd I'd get that in a heartbeat. I didn't even really like Hellboy Two that much, but I liked it oh, a yeah. lot more than the first one to be honest. I, I liked the first one a lot more than the second one. I, I think we've had this discussion before. <laughs> we we might have. Like, I, I know a lot of people complained about... who Well, a lot of Hellboy fans complained about it because they changed a bunch of stuff from his personality and such in the comics. But I really like, too, how they kind of made the, the whole we're not so different, you and I, speech and things like that. Yeah. With the, 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 um, 
Oh, they have a, sorry, they have a teaser trailer up uh, for Pacific Rim. Oh, they do? And it's, it's just, you get kind of a glance of the, the, um, the, the monsters, not the robots. Okay. But the monsters are pretty Del Toro-esque, if you want to use that word, from what you can see. They look kind of blobby and horror from the deep, like, like they show them hauling one on an aircraft carrier, like a partial robot skeleton to take the whole, the whole like, deck. It's pretty great. I like the title for this article. First, brief, awkward look at the giant monsters of Sephiroth in action. Uh, do, we, do we want to do a watch of this, too? It's only, like, uh, less than a yeah, minute I'm long. Yeah, I'm already watching it. Okay. Well, I've been watching it, too. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start of watching it now. So it's, uh... Oh, a little bit of found footage type thing with the news. Well, yeah, it's, it's like a cross between found footage and, like, the news clips in this teaser, but I'm assuming it'll be different in the actual movie. Yeah. But, yeah, my favorite clip is that little brief shot of the aircraft carrier with the dead dead uh, monster just sitting on top of it. Uh, like a giant stretcher for a horrible sea monster. Okay, so this is this is going to be a horror movie, almost, it looks like. Well... At least until the giant robots come into it. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's going to be most likely a playoff of, like, old animes and stuff, which I'm okay with. Yeah. I think it'll be fun, especially if Del Toro is directing it, because if anyone can make cool monsters, he can. Yeah. Oh, He's, yeah. He is such a good monster designer, and uh, I'm, I'm holding back... <laughs> I'm holding back, but he—I would love for him to take the helm of a—I know what you're cer- going to say—of a certain movie franchise, and I'm not going to—I'm not going to name it. But you guys can probably <laughs> figure out what I would say. Let's just but, call uh, it. We'll, we'll save that for for the horror episode, possibly. Let's call it Quiet Mountain. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> anyway, Pacific Rim looks like it could be really cool. Yeah, I'm really holding out for this movie. I hope it'll turn out great. Yeah. And they already have footage, so maybe it'll come out, or maybe we'll get a trailer for it soon. Um, but yeah, we should we should probably start thinking about wrapping things up. Kyle, uh, did you want to do your XCOM review? Oh, yeah. Okay, um, so we're starting our review corner today, where we're going to review uh, anything, really. We didn't really have a whole lot planned, but since we're doing a sci-fi episode... And it came out not too long ago. I decided to review XCOM Enemy Unknown, which I've been playing since it came out in uh, October. It's a game, a strategy game turn-based, where you uh, play as the head of an organization known as XCOM, who are formed as like a, a last-ditch effort by a UN-type group. I don't, they don't really tell you. It's just the leaders of the world to help fight off an alien invasion of Earth. So you manage a base, a secret base that you can choose to place under one of five continents, and you get to recruit people, recruit the best soldiers, and choose uh, which technology to produce and what to research. You have to manage all your resources and things like that and fight off the alien invasion. It's really cool, and it's really unforgiving. Uh, it's a remake of an old game called XCOM UFO Defense, and it's pretty, um, pretty accurate. It's a pretty good and faithful remake, the fact that it has a high difficulty curve, and when your uh, soldiers die, they die. So that's really cool. And uh, it, can, it can be frustrating at parts. Um, I mean, I guess we could go on longer with, like, a legitimate review, but 
we didn't have a whole lot planned. I'd, I'd recommend yeah. the game. It's yeah. great if you're into strategy games or just into, like, challenging games. Uh, it's a cool concept, and it's executed well. Yeah. And it even has a fun little multiplayer attachment if you want to play that with your friends. Yeah, I heard on the, the Rooster Teeth podcast that you, you can name the soldiers whatever you want. And so, like, the people on the Rooster Teeth podcast, they started naming them after people who work at Rooster Teeth. And so, yeah, they come with, like, default names, and they uh, you can't change their nationality because they come from different XCOM-supporting countries, oh, okay. which is cool. So, like, it, it gives a lot of character to characters that don't have, you know, much along the lines of personality that you'll get to know these characters from, like, the little flag patch they wear on their back and, like, their exploits, which it, it really connects you to characters that don't really have much stake in the story. Yeah. So it's it's like an overview strategy-type game, but you can connect in small details when you want. Yeah, like, you uh, you become attached to your soldiers. Cause like, say you have, um, there's, like, everyone starts as a rookie, and once you uh, level up, they become, like, a uh, sergeant or something. And when they rank up to that, they get, um, like, a designation. They can be a sniper, uh, an assault, um, support, which is, like, a medic and stuff, and um, a heavy, which gets, you know, heavy explosives and things. And then once they reach, like, the third or fourth rank, they get a nickname. So your character has, like, a randomized nickname based on, like, what his job is, what his or her job is. And um, you get connected because it's like, oh, this is my super awesome soldier, and they've been through, like, all this, and they've been shot in the face by an alien, and they didn't die, and (laughs) they've beaten the odds. And then one wrong move, and, like, one of your teammates will panic and shoot them in the back of the head. Oh, jeez. Because (laughs) your teammates can panic, and... Every time they panic collectively over the game, their will score gets a little lower, so it kind of starts building up huh. <laughs> to like having a completely broken soldier who freaks out at the drop of a hat. So I I know like literally nothing more about XCOM than what you've told me and what I've heard on the Rushis podcast. Um, it, what type of game is it? Is it like a first-person shooter or strategy it's a, or? It's a turn-based strategy game. Okay, like, that's what um, I thought. A good way to. Uh, some analogies I'll drop. Have you ever played um, uh, Final Fantasy Tactics? Or... No, I've I've played Fallout Tactics, though. Okay, it's similar to that. Or Fire Emblem or Valkyria Chronicles. It's top-down. You see all your uh, soldiers. You're on kind of a grid-based map. You can bring up a grid, but normally it just kind of looks like an environment. And when you're going to move them, it shows little blocks of how far they can move out and stuff. Mm. And initially, when you start, you don't have any contact with the aliens, you just kind of have to scout ahead, and you generally run into them at the worst possible time if you don't plan out what you're doing. Like, oh, I sent three of my four squad members, or five of my six, and they didn't run into anything, and then the last guy will move up, and he'll be the one who discovers the aliens, who get a free move, and then, uh, then if his turn's up, they can start acting right away, so if he's not in cover or something, he's probably going to die. Oh, jeez. Now, this is for the PC? Any, uh, it's on the PC, the Xbox, and the PlayStation. Alright. They have a version for each of the consoles, the main consoles. It's, it's a really fun game if you're into strategy and stuff, and mm-hmm. it's, it's just great with the little details of the getting attached to your units and all the stuff that you can do, the choices you can make to, uh, like, uh, as you defeat aliens, 
you take back their bodies, and you can do autopsies on them. And even better, once you uh, research the um, arc thrower, which is like a taser, you can start taking them back live and doing live autopsies on them. Oh, that's cool. Wow. Yeah, and you start to uh, pick up like their technology and stuff in battle, because when they die, their, their weapons kind of explode. So you can take the shards back to study and figure out how to reverse engineer their technology to make their laser and plasma rifles to use against them. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which is, yeah, it's a cool. And also when you capture aliens, you get their stuff without it exploding in their hands. So that's another way you can pick up weapons, but you can't use them until you understand how they work. Yeah. So does it have, like, a pretty strong single-player storyline? It sounds like it. Yeah, it's a... Well, storyline-wise, it's it's pretty basic, but it's it's one of those games that's never the same twice. Like, uh, it's made by Firaxis, their uh, Sid Meier's company, so they've made all the Sid Meier games in recent years, Civilization, things like that. So it's it's like a game you can play over and over. Story stays the same, and it's kind of framed with specific missions, mm-hmm. but like the battles and maps and stuff are all randomized, like. Hmm. Oh, the uh, the alarm's going off, and there's three abductions, and you have to choose which place to help. There's an abduction in Melbourne, Australia, there's an abduction in Johannesburg, South Africa, and there's an abduction in Shanghai, China. And you have to decide which country is going to uh, be the one you help, and which oh, two wow. are getting thrown under the bus. And as countries have abductions and things like that, their panic rating goes up. And if their panic rating gets high enough... They leave the uh, XCOM council, and you don't get uh, funding from them anymore because each country funds uh, you independently. And after you lose eight nations, then uh, you just kind of lose the game. So it's one of those games that if you're not careful, you can lose like ten hours in. <laughs> because you have to dr- set up satellites and things over countries to keep them from panicking and stuff like that. Wow. And, uh, yeah, you get different bonuses from the missions, too. So, like, those three countries that have the abductions, one will give you, like, a couple of engineers, one will give you a few soldiers or, or a few scientists, and one will give you money or something like that. So you get a different reward. So you have to kind of balance which reward would help you more and which countries can take the panic increase. Hmm. Like, there's a way to, to reduce the panic, but, you know, it'll pile up over time if you don't do anything to help them. Mm-hmm. Well, there's really a lot of like cool, like attention to detail put in that game. Yeah, yeah, and like um, there's things called terror missions where aliens, uh, the aliens set up in an area and they just kind of murder people, and you have to run up and they, basically you tag the person, and when you tag them, they run off the map and they're safe, or you have to clear out all the aliens, but. You get graded, obviously, on your mission, so the more civilians that die, the worse your rating is. But if you ignore a terror mission, a country will generally just, like, leave, up and leave. Hmm. Because they'll be thrown into panic from this huge wanton slaughter that just happened in, like, the middle of one of their populated cities. You know one way you could uh, reduce the panic in certain countries? Give them all copies of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, I thought you meant, like, I thought you were asking. <laughs> One of the ways to reduce panic is to set up satellites over the country. Yeah. So then they have, uh, you know, they have XCOM support. Kyle? You there? What? Yeah, long? I'm here. Oh, Didn't you cut out for a okay, second. You, yeah, it was scary. What was the last <laughs> thing you heard me say? You can set up satellites over the countries and... 
Yeah, that's that's all I was really saying. Okay. You set up the satellite, and it gives them XCOM support, so they, you know, stop panicking. Okay. So, <laughs> wrapping things up. Uh, Speaking of wrapping things to... up, all mine matter. If you're still looking for the perfect gift for someone who has everything, <laughs> why don't you go to our non-existent store and buy things? <laughs> yes, buy no. an All Mine No Matter hoodie or <laughs> All Mine No Matter beer koozie. Uh, yeah, we only have four episodes, but we totally have merchandise. Beer koozie? Yeah, you know yeah. those things you put a your beer, beer can in? Yeah, see, I always pronounced it cozy. I think but... you mean... A beer cozy. Yeah, I've heard, I it, pronounced both the, I've heard ways. it pronounced koozie. I've heard it pronounced both ways. So. Well, how's it spelled? It's spelled with one O, I think. I'm from Central PA, so <laughs> bear with me. And Brandon, you're from the hills of PA. <laughs> and I'm from Central New York. That's true. So we're all from I have rural areas. Like I, I'm not from a rural area in the least. <laughs> But you said Central New York isn't the only thing in New York, New York City, and then just nothing. Oh yes, that's a, that's what yeah, I thought I would like you to believe. <laughs> How do you even spell this? Thing? Yeah, it's it's C O Z Y. So I'd say it's not cozy. Yeah, New, New York, it, New York City is the only thing that exists in New York, unless it's the the basketball scene is going basketball season is going on. Then Syracuse look, exists for a little while. Wikipedia spells it K O O Z I E. What? I've never seen it what spelled the, that way. Fuck. That's <laughs> it says stupid. The name, origin, and trademark dispute. The beer koozie, oh. coasty, koozie, koozie, coolie, coldy, holdy, beer hugger, or beer huggy. Beer hugger. <laughs> Is a misnomer since it's not always used as an alcoholic beverage. Oh man! Other names oh. are can holder and or can cooler and beer sleeve. Kyle, before we go, you mentioned before how you were hoping that Guillermo del Toro and Peter Jackson are like good buddies or something. Yeah, I, I found this picture. We'll put it in the notes. This should be the. Uh, this should be the the picture for the post. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, that. just like we had the uh, cufflinks in the other one. Man, they they are both beardy and somewhat deranged looking. Oh yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> El Toro's got a world class neck beard going right there. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, there's there's our episode on sci-fi. Um. We basically just meandered about. I enjoyed it. Um. Hopefully, you listener, listeners, someone, <laughs> Bueller. Listener, um, parentheses, S. Yes. Um, we, we, we've got I several two Facebook friends. <laughs> yeah, I know two people that are listening for sure. Um, but yeah, so uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if there's something that you want us to discuss further on a future podcast, or if there's something that uh, you, if we made some mistake, which I'm sure we did with all the crazy lore that you can find with speculative fiction stuff, um there are several avenues which through which you can contact us now. You can uh, contact us through uh, the uh, blog, which is... Brandon, what's that again? Allmind-nomatter.blogspot.com Slash NPR. <laughs> All things considered. Um, you can also find us at the Facebook page, All Mind No Matter. It's a... a it's classified as a radio station. Um, if you just search for it, you should be able to find it. I don't think there are any other All Mind No Matter 
Not that search, I search search for us on iTunes and leave a review. Yes, uh, you hopefully can also, a glowing review. Uh, and you can also send emails to us through our email account, which is allmindnomatter at gmail dot com. No dashes or spaces or underscores or anything. It's just allmindnomatter at gmail dot com. If you uh, like, if we like what you say, we'll read it on the air. Yes, and if you like what you hear, please. Send Draw us us pictures. Draw us pictures. Uh, I want fan fiction. <laughs> yes, fan fiction would be preferable. I want the most perverted, oh, messed geez. up pairings you can come up with. Oh, no. There's Make no... sure you ship us in the most disgusting ways you can imagine. There's only been four people on the show. How many pairings can they come up with? Furries, scat. Oh, jeez. Other <laughs> kin. Whatever oh, you want. The more depraved, the better. <laughs> I didn't think other king was sexual, but I'm probably thinking you can, you else can make you're, it. You're, you can you're make not anything. being imaginative enough. You're, you're not dreaming anything. large enough, dear. Anything could be sexualized. Or darling, I think he says. Uh, whatever it is. Regardless, another thing you could send us is uh, suggestions for our next episode, where we'll be delving into fantasy. Uh, high fantasy, obviously, or low fantasy. Yeah. Maybe even some mid-fantasy. <laughs> and for also, just in case, because we're not sure when this is going to air exactly, uh, in case we've already recorded that, you can still go ahead and send it to us because we're always looking for things to cover. So if there's a particular thing you want reviewed, we can all watch it, for example. Yeah, and if you, got, if you guys have any questions about the podcast or us or the topics we've discussed... Uh, feel free to contact us through any of those avenues we just talked about. So uh, we look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this is us signing off. Yeah. So long. Sure